Hello. It's been a while. I have not disappeared. In fact, I'm right here. <laughs> uh, it has been a calm, but chaotic few months. Um, between Rider Girl was actually pretty pretty tame this year. Um, it was a lot of working. And then there was a lot of working with a lot of schoolwork. And everything is at a moment where the chaos has subsided into a very calm flow. Um, lots of things. I've found a gym that offers a very substantial amount of variety and it's appearing that this will fulfill uh, not only my rehabilitation which you know not not presuming that my rehabilitation is anything but a few months of, you know, dedicated and consistent gym progress. And it's not, you know, as per like from a broken foot, but it's still in the world of running. It, it is uh, rehabilitation and strength building. I have an appointment with a trainer at my gym that is going to guide me through, you know, give me the guidelines for successful strength building while respecting uh, the twinging that my hip flexors still do. Uh, I need to rebuild strength. I can feel it at the top of my quads. And I could feel its connection in my knee and with the movement of my ankle. Um, I've started with testing out uh, my running capabilities with small runs, uh, small speed works. There's a very small track that is <laughs> dedicated for running and I'm not doing 22 laps to get a mile. That's a lot of circles. And I get dizzy, you know, going in a circle twice. So I've, <laughs> I've dedicated that to doing speed work on my own. And, you know, just giving that little extra oomph to a, a, a warm up or something of that nature. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited because this place has a pool. And uh, as my reading, um, that's one of the suggestions that they have for altitude training. And it does make sense because whenever you dive underneath the water, it recreates that pressure that your lungs get whenever you are on the high altitudes. Uh, my running races and my enjoyment just for personal 
of running, it does take me to some high altitude places. Uh, I live below sea level. So anytime I go even up to Georgia, there's a rise in air pressure to me, but that doesn't exactly afflict me. Um, it, you know, it's, it is, it's from consistent travel from early on in life to now, uh, you know, going up in the air, going to California, going back down to Louisiana, going back up into the air, etc. Uh, I noticed when I visit New York now, my, I'm able to get that endurance up faster and that breath work up faster. However, when I visit places like Tahoe or Wyoming, um, those mountainous, mountainous regions have such a dramatic altitude change that my lungs cannot, can barely take them out. Like the first time I visited Wyoming, it took me five days to build up to the ability to run a mile. Now, granted, I do admit when I visited Wyoming in 2021, I was smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. Um, and when I went up there, it, it definitely there was pressure because I, my body was pumping liquid out of me, pumping fluid, like it was nobody's business. And that in itself astounded me because I didn't realize that I had that much fluid built up into my body. But that's that's what the pressure does. It, it, it presses on your body. And if you're not used to it, it does take some getting used to. Um, and it was. I was drinking... I was drinking like two gallons of water in Wyoming a day because they said you had to up there, which is strange because we, <laughs> we remind each other to hydrate. Oh, it's, it's the, we have so much humidity down here in Louisiana. You need to hydrate. Oh, there's so, there's so little humidity in Arizona. You need to hydrate, but yet we, we don't like to hydrate. <laughs> Nobody likes to drink, and we all like to believe that, you know, our state is special in hydration needs when it's just, we're 70% water. We, our body is its own ocean, and it needs water to survive. Um, so, this one might be short because it's such a beautiful day. It's a day off and I have completed 90% of my coursework for now. So I'm taking a brain break. Uh, when I left, I was, I trailed with a discussion on relationships. Um, and I decided to jump in and do a show because, you know, analyzing myself in coworker relations and 
anticipated relations and Twitter patients because of Spring. Uh, it's it, it it led me to an epiphany. And I'll share that with you. But first, I'm going to ramble. So we we are a mating species. We want we find you know we're told we need to find a mate. We need to reproduce, and you know that appears to be the ultimate focus of our life onset from early adolescence you know men are told they need to go forth and make babies which i don't know is accurate because i'm not a male but what i do remember is playing wedding and having my best friend growing up centered i mean obsessed with when are we going to get our menstruation cycles and when are we going to get married and what our wedding and babies are going to look like and what our houses are going to look at. We have entire classes dedicated, you know, they were female only at first, uh, home economics in our, in our school, the females were encouraged to take home ec, home ec and the males were encouraged to take FFA, which is the future farmers of America. Now that's, part for the course of a rural farming community, but it still says that men were going to go play on the farm with the heavy equipment and raise the chickens and slaughter the cows, and women were going to take home, take care of the cooking and sewing. And that's just what they tried to teach us in Home Ec, and I'd really like to see how some of my classmates have fared cooking. I know I can cook a mean egg, mean scrambled egg. Like, you want your egg scrambled? Baby, I got you. I got you on that. Um, <laughs> have my grandmother chose me to learn the, the sacred family gondola recipe, which which I mastered. But, it, you know, if, if it were judging by the egg recipe that I made in Home Ec, it would... <laughs> You'd be giggling. Um, but, you know, we we do this, and most of us do. Like, you know, some of us stay with our high school sweethearts because, you know, whether it's settling or not, we go, okay, well, this is as far as I'm going to move in life is the house that my parents are building on the family land. I might go to college and might wait a couple more years, but generally people marry their high school and or college sweethearts because they know they're not going to explore past the electric cow fence. Um, and that's their chosen path. That you know, it's, it's I'm not naysaying it, but they don't dive deeply or deeper into dating dynamics and uh compatibility, and maybe this person in Wyoming or California 
or even Ohio might be a better soul match for me. And they just leave it to finding a mate, getting married, and having babies, and working on the family farm. Uh, you know, my hometown has advanced uh, quite a bit of urbanization, and I imagine a little bit of revolution uh, in the dating world. But as unfortunate as it is to see, as advanced as it has become, there's still a segregated part of town where you don't go past if you don't have the certain genetics. That's why I left. Because I knew, like even growing up, I got stairs. And I landed here in New Orleans. The, the atmosphere when I came to New Orleans was spectacular. And I was dedicated to doing things that my mother had never done. Now, and I, you know, I say all that, and here's where I just destroy my own example. And well, maybe not. I might uphold that, actually. My mother's from Los Angeles, California, a, a smaller town called El Segundo. My dad is from Lake Arthur, Louisiana, a very small town, off the map, something my mother would never have even thought existed. My dad joined the military, and I don't, I, you know, I, I failed to ask, but somehow befriended my Theo, Theo Jr., I don't know how it came about. They don't speak of it, but I know that they clearly decided that it would be fun for my dad to go with my Theo back home to California. Well, my mom was enchanted and I don't know how long they courted, but they were married and they lived together you know, military housing when my dad was stationed overseas. But they landed in Lake Arthur. Yes, I had to hear growing up how my dad promised he was never going back to Lake Arthur, and they ended up in Lake Arthur for 18 years. 20 years, actually. 21. I moved out when I was 21. Well, I moved out. I moved to New Orleans for school. So here I am in college, first generation, decidingly deciding that I was, you know, I was going to experience living on my own. I was going to experience check, 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 right? Here's what I didn't realize when I was in my mid-20s. The infatuous 
flings that I had, you know, I had one from, uh, with a guy in, from my pre-college that I met. Um, he was still from my hometown and we kind of met up a couple times, but things just, things just dissolved. Um, I had a couple flings with people at my college, like nothing even remotely serious. Like there was no dinner involved, just useful, useful playfulness. However, somehow in my mind, they did leave an impression on me because they were each, you know, a core memory. But those core memories were so blurred that when it came to meeting my now ex-husband, I had counted them as relationships in my head because I didn't know what a relationship was. My ex-husband was the first relationship that I had ever experienced. But I knew that I was edging on 26, 27. And I had, I had in my mind, I went, wow, okay. So I have 10 years on everything that my mother did. My mother was on her second kid at age 28. I'm almost 30. So... I, I literally decided in my head, I said, okay, so now it's time to get married. Um, I never voiced that, uh, honestly, because it was just a beginning thought. I voiced the fact that it would I would rather experience living with somebody of the male gender to kind of see how they were on an everyday basis. I now know that there was some outside pressure on my ex-husband's side. You know, he, he the first time he said, I love you, that wasn't rushed. But after that point, I felt a pressure. There wasn't necessarily pressure from my family's side. Because I never really talked to my mom about that stuff. And if I did, I, I would honestly, I would have, if she would have given advice, I would have ended the advice with, well, she got married at 17. Maybe I should have. Because then that would have put the voice in my head saying she got married at 17 to the first, you know, whatever. That was technically her first relationship and only relationship too. There were things that I know now, but I also know that I don't have to talk to my mom about it because I am mindfully aware of that in the back of my head. Um, but there was pressure because we moved in together and then it was less than six months of living together before he proposed. I liked him. I liked him. And the side that his family showed me at that point, his family gave me no reason to err on the side. Caution. His uncle would jump, oh, God bless you. You're a martyr. Ha, 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 blah, blah, blah. 
And he looked very serious when he said that. But he was he said it in such a joking tone. I'm like, he loves his wife. And I've seen the relationship between him and the uncle and my ex-husband's aunt. I'm like, but, you know, it, it would just, I would tilt my head and just smile and laugh and shake it off and be like, he hasn't shown me anything to be concerned about. I learned. I learned. And it wasn't it wasn't direct abuse. It was it was the key markers of mental abuse. Um, you know, the it it in abuse from all sides. The mother in law, clear favoritism clear weird trepidation with me um which i suspect was ethnically based uh, i'm not going to straight up and call these people anything uh there were good times there were moments that were very fun but like it really got strange after that you know when I first met my ex-husband, they were hosting a family Christmas, and she said it was her hers every four years. Well, her rotation showed up, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, I don't feel like it. I don't do this, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, like, even though I don't believe I'm the cause of it, when she was telling me that, it made me feel that the fact that he'd married me had actually thrown her into this hysteria and rendered her incapable of throwing this family Christmas party because I was involved in the family. It, like I said, I do not logically believe that was the case, but that's how... That's why you have to be mindful of what you're relaying when you speak to people. Because if you're feeling incapable of doing something because you're just, say, I've just been so overwhelmed lately, I don't think I can add another thing and I had to cancel. Don't make the person you're talking to, if you already treat them as an outsider, even though they've been married to your son for five years don't don't treat them as an out you know don't talk to them as an outsider talk to be a little honest you don't have to say i'm struggling with depression this year just say i'm so overwhelmed and then that person that you're speaking to doesn't have to can can decide if they want to accept the burden of that emotional state what it would be to help you or what can I do to take things off your plate because those parties are fun you know things like that it's but this, that's this <laughs> let's presume I never verbalize that to them I mean there were many issues I, I straight up told her off one time and everything that I told her at least for a long time was truthful from that perspective. However, it was the fact that my former sister-in-law 
also felt that way a few years ago, which shows you how you can be right and wrong in certain aspects of your life. Like my daughter, she's the youngest of all the grandbabies. Uh, and when my former sister-in-law went off on my mother, her former mother-in-law, her kids are all in the teenagers. They don't want to go to Momo's house anymore. So yeah, I mean, a cute little six-year-old girl who is, you know, still very much cheering Momo and Popo on. Yay, rah, 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 with showering them with attention. Of course they're going to melt like butter and want to spend time with my daughter. My daughter's awesome. She's my daughter. She's like, heart me. <laughs> no, but she is her her own person, and it really is just amazing. Um, but, you know, not experiencing multiple relationships before I said yes, or not understanding what a relationship actually was. Um, it really... shows you how a lot of us humans are walking into the world with these with these walls and with these walls with pictures decorated with pictures and perceptions and ideals that your mother has picked out throughout her life oh a relationship is this you know, it's going through the stack of photos that you got developed and picking out the best representations of your vacation. You're not going to pick a photograph where you're all cutthroat and yelling at each other. You're going to pick the photograph where you're all hugs and smiles and, and, and laughing or eating a mouthful of pancakes or something. Something that represents the good feeling that you had on vacation. You're not going to represent, you're not going to take a photo, you're not going to put a photograph of the wrecked rental car that, oops, <laughs> that deer came out of nowhere. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You're not, you're not going to do that on a typical basis. Now, if you have a picture of your wrecked rental car and you're laughing around it because you just, that's how you react in those situations, but it looks like a good photo. You're going to do that. You might choose that one. <laughs> it, that's not typically the winner that goes up on the vacation wall or on the photo album you show your friends. It didn't even hit me that I didn't know what a relationship exactly was through my divorce, or even immediately post-divorce. Uh, I knew that the interaction I encountered for the three years after my divorce, that was a friendship relationship at most. You know, that's, that's actually where I began piecing together what what levels 
of relationships exist. Um, and in many ways, it is to put walls in between in between running emotions. Say we hear the term, oh, he put you in the friend zone or she put you in the friend zone, buddy. Usually, usually those walls are put up out of fear. You don't want to lose that person. And you rely on that person and you love that person and you have a working relationship with that person. But you put up that wall because you see your parents' marriage falling apart. And your parents say, oh, yeah, we were friends first, which is a lie. Your parents were sex buddies. Your parents were not friends first. Your parents didn't grow up. Typically, your parents did not grow up down the street from each other. Your parents met in a subway station in Pennsylvania or at the airport in Washington. It's your parents met somewhere and dated a small courting thing. And then they decided that from pressures from their family to get married and have babies, they were going to get married and have babies. And develop a friendship later. But the problem is. Sex is fun. And you know fun. And oops. We made a baby. And life. Happened. Good things. Bad things. Stress. You know lack of stress management. Too much stress management. When are we going to go on vacation? We can't afford it. You know the things that are drilled into our skulls by over-concerned, over-controlling parents and forced obligations, not not children, but like forced obligations like finances, like, oh, well, you have to marry this class of person because we are five hyphenations of, you know, this trail of money. And keeping your family lineage hyphenated that's very cool because then it's easier for you to do a family tree that 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 sometimes it means nothing but a social ladder for hispanics that is a genealogy tree like when it my mom tried to do one the Caucasian way, the whatever you want to call it, the colonized way, and it got muddled. But if you just trace back your family name, you know, and in, in Puerto Rico, sometimes you go, I'm related to the entire island. They're all my family. We're all family. We all came from slaves and Tainos who were forced into slavery who were genocided, we we are all related. Now, how closely? That, uh, you know, I'm not diving into that. But 
that's that's why certain practices are good because like you said if you like i said like you said oh boy um like i said <laughs> oh. um you know, you have your father's name, you have your mother's name, and then you have your grandmother's name, and then you have your grandmother's name on your mother's side, and so on and so forth. And so you can go, okay, you're in the abyss. Let's see how many lines back in my family name, the abyss pops up. So one, two, three, four. Oh, we fourth cousins. Okay. You know, so let's go from there. And then there's a concept of did they even have last names? I I don't know in with Puerto Rico heritage, you know, did it dive back because the way they documented slaves during the trade, some people would document them by the nation that they were stolen from, and then some people wouldn't even they would strip their name because the colonizers knew. Taking your family name was a way to take your soul and your identity. These people took slaves to steal, to steal, to steal your identity, to steal your birthright, to steal your emotional capacity for hope and to fight. They wanted to assimilate you forcefully. And if you weren't going to be forcefully stimulated, they're going to put you like Hatui on a stick and burn you alive. I am doing laundry, and I forgot that. So... As I develop my definition of friendship, okay, you know, the emotional level takes me to this point. I begin furthering and exploring what does partnership with romantic entanglements, how do I define that? So, People define that differently. Some people say, okay, you and I are partners. We live together. We love together. However, we both know at this moment that, you know, we are not exactly monogamous in nature. Uh, we live a certain lifestyle and if you stray, we both agree to be okay with that. I've never been in an agreed upon open relationship with somebody. Um, however, finding out that my ex-husband ventured into that without talking to me, one, was not a surprise. Two, it didn't affect me on that emotional level because I should have divorced him three years prior to when we actually got divorced. Uh, 
so the emotional attachment that I had, you know, at one point in that relationship, it was it wasn't fair. That's that's how that's how I overcame a domestic abuse situation in a marriage. That's not the case for a lot of people in that situation. A lot of people are still tied into that emotional entanglement. And I found that out myself when I became entangled in a trauma bond after my marriage. And everything that I have learned about what people who are addicted to heavy narcotics go through when they go through deprivation and when they go through cleansing and when their body detoxes. I experienced that. And it was the scariest experience of my life. Knowing that you can be connected to somebody's emotional psyche to that intense, uh, you know, intensive intensity, it's terrifying. I didn't know that was going to happen. Had I known, of course I would have, I, I couldn't have because there was no choice in that option. But, you know, given the choice, given from the perspective of another domestic abuse, you know, in that situation, it is like a substance abuse detox. And if someone has been through that, you know, whether it has been because of a breakup from that person or because they have experienced detox from a narcotic, people go, I'm not going through that. That's hard. That's, you know, it's terrifying. The things, I, I'm telling you, it was, it, it was something that opened my eyes. So after that experience, I said, okay, I have to be more mindful in choosing any future partner. And that's when Mr. 2022 came along. Um, you know, the initial reaction to him was strange because he clearly seen me and like, it sounds very condescending, but it's more of an element of surprise to me and because I'm very observation. And the fact that this guy had been to Sam's club two or three times a day, several times a week, several times when I had been there and like I had not directly noticed him. Like I noticed a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of repeat customers, a lot of whatever. But this guy, like, he comes here almost every day, and I can't believe I, I never noticed him before. 
foot. My initial reaction when he gave me his number was, the necessity of this man? He just gave me his number. And I had to stop myself and said, wait, Melissa, hold on. <laughs> this is what you just literally just asked the universe for a week ago. Like, somebody who steps up to the plate and initiates the contact. Like, and this man just handed you his phone number. That he wants coffee. There's literally no harm in that. And from our initial talkings, it it went from coffee to a date because our schedules, you know, me getting off at 2 p.m. isn't exactly an ideal time for coffee. I would even working, uh, you know, a detail afterwards. I really would try and refrain from coffee. Uh, later, that late at night. But, again, I wanted to take, we had different ideals. I wanted to take it very slow. I knew that I was, I contacted him because it was one of those situations where I was like, I just asked the universe for this. And he, you know, here he is. And I was denying him. I was, I was going towards denial, denial of him. Because I was afraid what the person in the, that had the trauma bond was would think. And I went, wait a minute. He discarded me. He threw all these lies about me. Why in the world would I not date somebody? Because I'm afraid of what so-and-so thinks? I'm like, come on, girl, get it right. Like, get your mind right. Like, really. That's done. Like, let's let's move on from that. And so I went, you know what? I'm not gonna miss an opportunity for something because clearly, again, like I like ascertains, you know, during the whole Mr. 2022, before, even the, like, you know, it's everybody who I meet, I, and like I interact with, say, let's go to Mr. 2022. How many men have I seen at Sam's Club walking out of Sam's Club? They all flirt, but who, who makes the effort to give me his number or talk to me or say, hey, I want to court you? He did. And that's one person out of how many thousands and thousands of people who go in and out the club all the time? I'm there very well near five days a week. I'm at, you know, I'm at Walmart five days a week. And this man just told me he went to, he, he's gone to every single Walmart that I have been on detail at. I remember one of the Walmarts saying that this, this man has been, he, he lost quite a bit of pounds and he still during COVID would come every single day. 
I guarantee you that was Mr. 2022 because from what that AP told me before I met Mr. 2022, he told me this. But from what that AP told me and what Mr. 22, the story Mr. 2022 showed me and gave me and told me, it was almost a mirrored reflection of what the AP told me and what I'm like, I've seen this man. This man, had, well, I should have seen this man. And it was the same way with my trauma bond. It's one of those where I'm like, dudes traveled in and out the airport. I saw tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of passengers. How did I not see this person until this moment? That's why I have such a strong, unyielding faith in the universe. Because this person who I've passed millions of times, I just met today in a capacity, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. And so that's why when these occurrences happen, at that moment, I tended to go on the overboard because as a police officer, you're thinking on terms of, I could literally die tomorrow. I could go on a call. I can go on a regular call of a cat stuck in a tree. It, we've gotten those calls. I've pulled cats out of sewers before. They were adorable kittens. It made the news too. Uh, <laughs> you could literally be going to a call about kittens stuck in a tree and find yourself ambushed and killed. And so police officers operate on the high intensity scale. You know, you meet somebody, you go all in. You go all in. You don't, you know what I'm saying? And then it's even further furthered by officer down, you know, 26 officers in one month killed, you know, and I'm not trying to, I, I'm, I'm not downplaying the severity of the loss of the police officers to their families. But those are the emotional drivers of police officers. And while you're hearing this and thinking of it, you you answer call I have revived at least four or five people overdosing. Um one of them, Narcan, didn't exact I I I I um what's it called? I used to what's the phrase? It's good that I'm dropping the lingo. Um I gave them Narcan, I administered the Narcan, and there was no reaction, and I continued CPR. And that's what revived him, was the CPR. He was literally minutes away from death. And CPR revived him. And then I arrested him the next week because he had 
things, situations. Um, he was a very nice fellow overall, but you know, I had to arrest him. Uh, you know, those, you go on those calls. And then you meet Miss Cherry Blossom down the lane. And she does, she feigns understanding, or she feigns understanding about, you know, life is short, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And people travel down roads that they may not necessarily take when they are, say, living a fulfilled life or an emotionally stable life. I wasn't exactly emotionally stable when I met Mr. 2022, um, considering the fact that I was denying a, rela a potential relationship based on an opinion of somebody who had expressed very clearly that I did not matter, which was another one of his lies. But that's okay, because... It made my life better. And the things I found out about his life, it made my life better. I'm a better person for it. Um, yes, there are a lot of things I wish would have involved more honesty and directness. However, that's not, that's not my struggle. That was not, I recognize that very early on that that was not my burden to work on or work out of that person. So at least I didn't carry that with me. Um, so moving on to Mr. 2022. Mr. 2022 was moving us way too fast. I was finding things out about him and everything that I initially found out it was good. He had very good qualities. He helped me start finding a standard in men that I want to date and I want to be a partner with. Um, he was the first African demographic that I had dated. And that was a big step in loving myself. Uh, accepting that I have African features, it, there's there's more down the line. He, you know, and I've realized what he what the universe meant to do when he put Anthony in my life. Um, I also saw the red. Uh. Initially, they were there were things that I could shove aside um, and deflect and make excuses for. Oh well, he's never home, so his house is very cool. Okay, well, people have germ phobias, but the overlying thing that kept popping up, um, you know, I don't know if he bought a new coffee pot yet. But when we parted ways, he had not yet replaced a coffee pot that was 10 years old and that he never used. 
I learned why he didn't replace that team here. He caught. I also saw things from a relationship that he had not let go, which had passed the decade mark. Um, and that was part of the reason why I began the mental preparation to really put the brakes on what was going on. I enjoyed spending overnight with him. That was fun. That was a change. That was part of what I had told myself I would do at 2022 was to slow down. I realized I was overworking myself. I was slowing down on the details. I was slowing down to enjoy life. And I was slowing down to bring myself out of the consistent state of fight or flight that I had been in for, at that point, the past four years. Things went sideways. Uh, he, I cringe now when people uh, say, oh, I'm overthinking. Because I met an overthinker. I met a catastrophizer. And it was one of those situations where he was right. He was right. We would have broken up. We would have broken up for several reasons aside from the two million and three reasons why he sat and thought about the relationship not working. What made me sad about that with the relationship ending was that we never had the chance to have the good memories associated with the relationship. I liked him. He got up at 5.30 in the morning and made me breakfast. I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't expect him to do that. Nobody had ever done that for me. Um, and even though he was fasting, he would sit and eat with me and have coffee. And it was a situation. And then he would walk. You know, there, there were things, there were a lot of things that he did that no one had ever done. My ex-husband never did anything like that for me. In fact, people, you know, when people tell me today, or when I find myself, actually, the best, the better example is when I find myself multitasking with five different things at once at my current job, I have to tell myself to slow down and go back to one thing at a time because I'm reliving a chaotic moment when I had to carry seven bags of groceries and a baby up three flight of stairs by myself, because that's what my husband just threw on me. He never took care of me when I was sick. Mr. 2022 took care of me the way, I mean, it was very soft. It was very gentle and it raised my standards for men. And I was very sad when it ended. Again, like I said, I was still with the police department and I was basing the pace of the relationship on the throwing it, throwing it all in because 
I didn't know when it would end. And rushing a relationship because like with children, we have to be mindful. We are, with children, we are raising a completely different human being. They might have your nose. They might have me mouse ears. And they might have your partner's lips. But you have to understand that you're also dealing with over 4 million decades. Four million years of d- human DNA and possible human traits. They might be the only left-handed person in your immediate family line. That doesn't mean that somewhere three generations ago, there wasn't a left-handed person that they take after. You know, just because your child's hair is blonde or curly or thick or thin or your eyebrows are different. There are ancestors you don't even know what they look like. You imagine? Because you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, I wonder, this is what my great aunt, great, great aunt Titsi looked like, you know, in 1491. I looked like her. I didn't fully believe that I looked Hispanic until I met to me who is now a complete who's still a complete stranger. I went down to Florida after after the breakup just to kind of get away. Stranger. Look like me. We probably are related, but she was Hispanic. She had my hair. She had my flowy qualities. I'm Hispanic. This is me. That's where I began accepting myself. And if I hadn't met Anthony, I really wouldn't have been drawn to explore my African roots within my heritage. And it has been, that's the reason, like, I questioned the universe for months. Why? 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 He, he, Anthony looked very similar to me. He told me I looked similar to his family. And his family is Sudanese and Egyptian. I've always had a strong desire for, I mean, an intense interest in Egyptian culture, in Indian culture. And I went, you know what? That makes sense. I can claim I I am. I mean, like, so I mean, I don't know. I haven't taken the ancestry test yet. But as I process everything, as I finally lost touch with him, 
um, and focused on me. You know, I let my grief over that linger and I let it process as much as I could. Uh, and then I ventured into dating or starting to date somebody else. And that's when I realized that my perception of what dating is and terms and vocabulary are different than a lot of people. Um, you know, somebody who I might believe that I'm dating, they determine, oh, I'm just talking to this person. No, no, we, we're going out on dates. You're paying for my food. You're paying for my drinks. This is dating. We are consistently meeting. We are consistently doing this. We are consistently doing that. That's the textbook definition of dating. But the more and more I realize is that when you get into older adult dating, if you don't align yourself with certain circles, you are going to find a lot of people at your age level that are very traumatized and have coping things or ideas that they're not going to communicate to you. And then, or they're not going to communicate clearly because they want that, that area of misunderstanding to keep you on the hook. Somebody who I've known for a while, I started, we started chatting, talking after, you know, we went out once, we, we met up, whatever, it was not a date to me. It was reconnecting with a friend. Um, I'm blonde. Uh, I think eventually I'm going to move the format to YouTube for the, the video thing too. But there are times when I enjoy doing this show looking like a complete mess or in my pajamas. So as the show develops, um, when I feel the time is right, it's going to move to YouTube for video. But during the summertime, I am, my hair is majorly, majorly, mostly blonde. It, at least it has like really cool blonde highlights that like pop with the blonde and it's all natural. Um, so I have to have things and I like things actually in a non-condescendingly manner spelled out to me. If you want to reconnect for drinks and you say, hey, let's reconnect for drinks. I am going to take that literally. Okay, that's step one. Okay, you got me there to reconnect for drinks. However, if during the night you get turned on and you decide that you want you want to have a sexual encounter and you have to spell that out for me 
you can't assume that because you buy my food or tell me something and I feel bad because it was supposed to be something that like that usually got the hero response from him. You know, he told the story and he got the, oh, you big bad policeman. Oh, wow. But I didn't pick up on that because at that point I was still a police officer myself. And Jesus Christ, if a female is a police officer and she still gives that response, I question her capacity as a police officer. Because he told me all these heroic stories, but he would line them with the line, oh, you know how it feels. You're a police officer, too. And I, you know, at that point, I was still hung up on Anthony. So maybe that's why the emotional line, oh, you know how it feels, didn't work. Or it could have been because I was still... I was having, you know, big flashes, warning, 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 danger, Will Robinson, danger. You Maybe my mind was doing that. And whatever my mind was doing, it completely brushed over the emotional intent that line was supposed to elicit. I was supposed to respond, oh, and you, you caught the bad guy. Oh, how awesome. I don't typically react that way. And I would actually stop and question myself if I ever reacted that way to a guy. I, I would know without a doubt that my Twitter patient is overriding the logical side of my brain. And so I I responded with, great job, man. You know, blah, blah, blah. And asked him, like, a police question. And his face fell. Because I think he knew it didn't work. But I didn't, you know, I was like, you know, me, his, his face fell. And I'm like, oh, buddy, you did a great job. You know, you're sorry she didn't make it. But, like, you really, you caught the guy. And he's not doing that anymore. My bad. That response would be okay with me. You know, that would, that would win points, but the, 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 the police do have, uh, machismo problem. And that is really what has made me put up a wall between myself and Hispanic men is that when Hispanic men fluff and go into Twitter patient mode, they do. They do the much easier one. And it's really over the like over the line. Like, buddy, you can dial that much easier mode down like 12 points and still be okay. But like you're trying too hard, Bobby. You know, like really just be yourself. And so okay. So um <laughs> I'm practicing my Boricua because I'm going to the Puerto Rican Day Parade this year. Woo, woo, play chicken boots. So, uh, <laughs> I'm excited. I was supposed to go during COVID and they canceled it. Uh, so it only took me three years, you know. 
<laughs> but anyway, I miss a lot of subtle things. And I, I've noted that, you know, people do that stuff because they're not sure. But that I guess that goes along the lines of confidence being something that is attractive. Because if you're sure that I'm into you, because one, I showed up. You know, two, we were really supposed to meet for 30 minutes. And here we are two hours later still talking. Don't be scared. Men, women, like seriously, if you have that type of conversation with somebody, don't be scared to put it out there like that. Be honest. Be like, hey, you know, I'm horny tonight. Are you? I mean, maybe not that direct, but, you know, there's there's a connection or there's something. Just because you're not feeling it in your pants does not mean that there's not an attraction there or, there, you know, the interaction won't be great afterwards. Or, you know, like he did, he, he's, we said goodnight. I didn't, I didn't immediately jump on him. Um, but things got weird after that. Um, I, I did the right thing. Because we would talk back and forth and I was confused. And I knew he had just gotten out of a relationship. And I'm like, look, buddy, I'm talking to you because I'm looking to be a part of a relationship. And he says, I'm not ready to be part of a relationship yet. But he kept talking to me. But then it started feeling very similar to the trauma bond. I'm like, this isn't... Okay, so this isn't a relationship, but yet I can't stop myself from talking to him, but he's responding. So is it okay? Is it not okay? And if I, you know, and I asked him that, I said, look, clarify for me. And it would be either radio silence or some sort of like skirt around the thing. So I, I was like, whatever. I'm going on vacation. Um, I forget what happened right before the vacation, but it was something dramatic. It 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 it, it threw me into an episode. But like I said, fortunately, like it was literally the day before my vacation, and I'm like, you know what? This vacation is going to be, like I've stated before, this is going to be about me. And I really did great. I, you know, I I don't think I posted things on, on Instagram until after my trip or maybe intermittent spots. I know I posted something leaving. I may have posted one thing or two during and I only t texted two or three times. And I have a mixed definition of boundaries during vacation. If you don't know I am on vacation and you text message me and I respond, 
and I don't tell you, hey, buddy, I'm on vacation. Oh, I like you. It's okay. One, why am I going to hold you accountable for things you don't know? Two, if I go, I'm having fun, but I'm going to talk to you anyway. Dude, confidence booster. Don't don't get all ashamed about it. Like, seriously, gentlemen, ladies, if somebody is talking to you and you later find out that they were at a party, at an event, or whatever, that's a kudos. That's not anything to be upset or shamed about. And yeah, I've been shamed about it. Uh, you know, I remember my trauma bond constantly shaming me. Like, dude, I'm having fun. I'm eating food right now. So if I'm eating food and I'm thinking of you, ugh, those are two favorite things, food, and at this point you, doesn't that say something? that Now, I recognize the problem on a personal level, and it had nothing to do with that person. But I recognize that initially on my first vacation as a, as a newly single person, I was trying to share something that with a male because my ex-husband never wanted to share it. Fast forward, you know, five years later, I'm sharing something because I think the person would find it freaking hilarious. And not because I'm trying to share my trip, to, you know, to wherever with a person. Because I'm trying to gain that emotional checklist. And that's another thing, too. With, with Anthony, I wanted to bring him to Puerto Rico, too. But it was a situation where I caught myself with that. And I'm like, mm, if the... If, if it's meant to be, I will bring it up when I go. Because it was, I think it was already booked. Like, my, my trip was already booked and planned. Um, But it was, like, I'm like, if it's meant to be, then I'll say, hey, do you want to join? Just like, I had already had my trip to New York. Like, literally, I was going to sit the man down and say, hey, buddy, I'm going to New York for a week with my kid. And he couldn't even handle that. Like, I, I told him, like, I think on our first date that I'm going to New York with my kid. So he knew all these trips were planned. And so again, <laughs> it's, it's like a Titanic sized ship of red flags versus the little lifeboat of green things, you know, that would have really been bad. So I, like, I just helped me accept that. Um, but then again, fate had another thing in mind, you know, because like I said, I, with this last person, hmm, buddy, okay, I went in saying, okay, I remember these qualities about this person, so let me see if those still exist today. And I think those qualities were in a conflict with what occurs psychologically with a police officer after seven years. 
And I believe it. And like I'm, I'm realizing that stuff as the things at work begin unraveling. And when I resigned, I wasn't upset. I went, my ancestors just saved me again. I was two years away from the seven-year mark. The amount of mental warfare that the administration in that department placed on me it was meant to destroy me and it was meant to control me and it was meant to as a power struggle the department sat on my personal belongings for over a month before very strangely contacting my father to go get my personal belongings because they believed that I'd come crawling back to their department, that they had displayed their manhood in a exertion of dominance that resonated. They believed that I didn't have anything else in my life except that department. It's messed up. Now, I have ideas on who, but it's one of those where at this point, my initial intent of diving into mental health counseling, it's changed. Um, I, I'm going to specialize in counseling police officers for sure. Um, but it's really, it's tough because a lot of, a lot of what needs to happen within the restructure is essentially a complete reboot of the system. And it's a reboot with the system with very hardcore psychiatric and mental health aspects involved in the daily life of the police officer. I mean, addiction controls, the substance abuse counselors, um, they use alcohol and there are officers across the nation and internationally that abuse drugs and narcotics. There's no doubt in my mind that a couple of the ones that I used to work with were under the influence of uppers, cocaine, heroin, you know, heroin's not an upper, but cocaine, I mean, a lot of narcotics. But they're not with the department anymore because the department 
Hmm, buddy, I'm not going to get to that today. So as I developed uh, relationships and what they, I'm still developing, you know, the qualities that I'm really searching for in a relationship. Um, I hesitate very greatly to dedicate a photograph on my relationship wall to that exact picture. Uh, if you have a picture in mind of what your partner looks like, you're going to be in denial. You're going to resist it. You're going to fight it. Uh, instead of allowing it to happen organically. Uh, there are Twitter patients, and I reference Bambi because it really is a very accurate word. Springtime happens, and your sexual organs get activated because there's more daylight, there's more pollen, as you can hear in my stuffy nose. There's more bringing a new life and fresh air and winds and all sorts of activities as people are going, hooray, we are out from the indoor world. Yay, there is sunlight abundance. Oh, look, it's nine o'clock and the sun is still out. And so your serotonin and your hormones are being secreted in overabundance. And it flows through your entire energy system. And you go, oh, look at that cute thing. Okay, I've been indoors for all of it, but we can go for five, you know, we can go for a few more. Like, you really sometimes have to fight yourself. And, like, looking at, looking at every little thing or every little sachet or, you know, hip movement and going, oh. Okay, you know, the birds are, the birds are mating, the birds are singing, the birds, I mean, springtime is the natural progression to when we want to go forth and procreate or have fun, you know, it's, it, it's natural, but you also have to be mindful, you know, that maybe this person who I'm going, you know, <laughs> may not be a partner. You may enjoy a few nights together, but it's still, is this some, I'm, I'm looking at people as, is this like like my place of employment? I am, as they assess me, I am likewise assessing them. Is this a place where I'd like to continue working? How do they treat me? How do they treat the other employees? How do they handle discipline? How do they handle uh things where you know is the discipline justified is the discipline equal is it there is discrimination is important to me because literally i'm i'm going to accept personal responsibilities in instances but the majority of jobs that i have been employed at there has been heavy discrimination my last job, gender discrimination, ethnicity discrimination on both fronts. Uh, just because I was Hispanic, 
just because I accepted my African roots. When I started wearing my onk and my cowrie beads, well, no, I didn't wear my cowrie beads until after I left. Pardon me. Cowrie shells. But when I started wearing my onk and they saw it in roll call, was when the racist demographic of my squad began laying it on thick. Gender discrimination. They would, oh boy, did they discriminate. They would get upset when I could do something more physically demanding, like push a car or, you know, get out of debt. I, I worked for it. I worked for it. I didn't realize how much I had accomplished until Anthony said something. Like he was, I think he was validating himself on some point, but when he verbalized it, I went, you know what? did do that in three years. I did do that. I have successfully done that. You know, this is why I reached a point where I was like, I can relax. I was, I was enjoying vacations and I was meeting my financial obligations and they were outwardly jealous about that. I was, I was about to springboard into a higher rate of financial success when I this past April, this coming April, when I met my five year mark, I would have gotten two other financial promotions and they would, they, they told me, they would sit there and tell me, they were like, how many years do you have? How many of this and that? They would sit there and calculate my pay rate. I'm like, why are you interested in what I'm making? It's called Nanya because it's my money and it's my struggle as a single mother. You don't understand. You might, you look at the money. I'm looking at the time I'm sacrificing with my daughter. I'm questioning, is it worth it? And I'm going to answer money is not worth it. I'd already begun choosing my daughter before they begin their, their striations into their, their playing of their supposed dominance. And they had no power over me. They knew that. That's why they wanted me out. I respected them and I treated them with the respect they did not deserve. The captain who promoted theft, uh, there was a deputy. She, I don't know if she left for her other job, but there was a deputy who would steal from other deputies and he knew that. Uh, he, she stole one of my items over Hurricane Ida. And when I confronted about him, the captain offered to pay for it, and he never paid for it. But he offered to pay for it because he knew that deputy had stolen it. I didn't even mention her name. And he knew she had taken it. He mentioned her name. And that's the first thing that they teach us. Any, any FBI or law enforcement person that knows what they're doing, a child, mom, Someone at Walmart, I'm not stealing. Dude, I'm just here to buy bread. Like, okay, good for you. <laughs> but I'm not here to... Like, I let the AP run the show on details. They they explicitly told me they had a process, and I'm the muscle. And I went, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go grocery shopping. So, when somebody came, whenever I rounded a corner, and someone says, I'm not stealing, officer. Good for you. I'd go back to the AP and say, hey man, go look at that person in the aisle, whatever. They're they're stealing. Because 
if you're not dealing, you're not going to answer. You're not going to greet me with that. You, you're not going to acknowledge me. You're not going to, you're going to place bread in the basket, but you're not going to let me know that you're not stealing because clearly you're putting the bread in the basket. Why would that even equate to stealing? And if there's an officer out there that would equate that, then you need to contact a supervisor and let people know because that's bad police work. Side note aside, the epiphany I had today. All these people in 2021 to 21, <laughs> 2021, <laughs> that's funny. But let's just go with 2021. Um, 2021 to 2022, who had significant impacts on my emotional state. Uh, during the course of those three years, you have Mr. Trauma Bond, you have Mr. 2022, and you have, dear God, I don't know, but Jesus, I hope he got, to, he said he had a therapist, so I hope he discussed things with his therapist, because that was some wild stuff. I come to him saying, I am coming as a friend. I text messaged him, I need a friend. Period. Not a lover, not a honey boo boo, not a relationship, not a husband, not a partner. I need a friend who was a cop and who had told me before that because I was a cop, I would understand. So I come to you saying, hey, man, I'm bummed because I just had to resign on a job that I, I kind of enjoyed. But mostly it's because I'm bummed and I need a friend. You would understand. You're a cop. And he would. If he ever lost his job, that man would probably be on suicide watch. And that's another reason why I'm grateful is because there was a level of detachment that I have never experienced in my life. And I was darn proud I did. But I was bummed because I, like I said, I was looking at that job to support me during the transition for my grad school. You know what I'm saying? Like coast for the next three years, do my job, be vigilant, use it as research. But then you blocked me on the internet because I send you a message. I say, hey, I sent you a message at you know, one in the morning, the next day, I'm like, look, I sent you something online because it was like one in the morning. I said, please read it. It's very, you know, important. And then he blocked me. It wasn't any exclamations of emotion. It wasn't any exclamations of, oh, I love you. Please marry me. Please support me and my baby. No, no. It was one of those where I'm like, look, man, uh, you know, I'm deeply upset. I'm so confused. I'm out of sorts. Blah, blah, blah. I know I said I was okay, but I'm not. You know, like, can we meet up to have a beer? And he blocked me. I went, okay. Locked on my phone. 
Thank you for blocking me on the internet first because that saves me that trip. Wow. You are Mr. Trauma Bond Jr. You won that title. So anyway, looking back at that, those particular instances of male interaction. Number one, I do not believe ever, not even with the high conflict divorce from my ex. I do not believe that those people represent males as an entirety. Those are four individuals that I have closely dealt with over the past decade of my life. And it's true because Mr. Trauma Bond Jr. I knew eight years prior because of the airport. We worked together. He left to go to the police department and he's now Mr. Trauma Bond Jr. Um, he like, I, it was freakish because he's like, oh yeah, you know, this is my job at the academy now. I'm like, what? What? So there, there was some PTSD involved in finding out what his job capacity was as a, a police officer too because it did very well reflected what trauma bond what capacity trauma bond worked at the police department too so it was one of those where i was like wow okay let me be cautious i was already cautious because i'm like mm, i don't know how i'm going to react to this um i looked at why and then, like, after that, I'm, like, dedicating myself to myself and my daughter. And eight months, eight months, we're in, let's see, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. Seven months later. I'm at a new job. I'm around new males. Um, 99% of which I have ruled out for various reasons. Um, they will be very dear friends and very important people in my life. But 99% of them are ruled out. And then like the 1% is about to be ruled out. Um, just from other factors and factors of things that I can't control. And I'm not going to, I am not going to be an instigator and I'm not going to be a reason why something doesn't work. It, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I, there's a point where we as females, even though we kind of like a man, we have to take a step back and trust if it doesn't make go into a relationship, it's not meant to be. There's another important reason why our schools have met. It's not just romantic entanglements. And with that being said, you know, I noticed a pattern. When I am preoccupied with work, 
I find that I take the task of being, um, you know, being emotionally attached to my daughter and being emotionally attached to myself above all. Somehow falls to a lower percentage and the desire for an outside influence starts to come in. It's a situation where I'm like, oh, that guy, well, he'd be a great, you know, suitor. I, I think he'd court well. You know, he he looks like he's a, you know, a, he, he dresses nice. He looks like he respects himself. He works out. He's, you know, educated. But it's a, some sort of mental preoccupation with outside emotional influences. Like, I'm at work to work. So why am I scoping out the male situation and male being M-A-L-E, not, not letters you receive in your post office box. Why am I being preoccupied with being seen as something to an emotional counterpart? Why? Because I'm I'm at my job to make money for myself, for my so I can clothe, feed, and shelter my daughter and continue with my education. You know, I think some of it lays in mastering a certain level of workload and competency in everything that I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm balancing it. It's on a nice rotatable balance scale. Like, signing up for that gym it's a great balance because it provides the tools that I need for variety for financial compatibility and it looks like there's even a social aspect involved in that particular gym and like I said, it, you know, I don't have to worry about when this gym has a class or when that gym has a class and figuring out how to get from the gym to the yoga thing in enough time. I'm there. I'm there. If I want to work out and I go to work out and then I go to a yoga class to stretch after or if I want to do yoga that day, or if I want to take a class, it's there and it's included. I don't have to spend $20 million on a gym membership and then $40 million on a yoga gym membership. I always have the option to drop in to other yoga gyms. That's, that's, that's not just, you know, hot yoga. They don't have at my gym. So if I want to go to a hot yoga class, you know, I'll find a 
Jim that does that and pay a drop-in fee. But that's part of the financial balance is that I'm not spending $500 a month versus whatever. So why am I placing a transaction price on male partner interactions when I am consistently working versus in the six months that I stayed home and it was just me and my daughter. There is no effort to provide an emotional transaction with my daughter. We're there. We're connected. So why am I placing an outward effort? You know, and it's not saying I don't place an effort in a relationship, but why am I not allowing the same organic transaction in the partner that's meant to be my life partner, you know? And his life partner doesn't mean non-committed. It doesn't mean not married. It means my partner equal. You know, we both have equal values or similar to where they can be equal, considered equal. You know, it, it, and it's, it's a, I'm leaning on the solid concrete answer that I have to give up the time that I desire with my daughter a lot of the times, even with this job, I have to give up that that weekend. I have to give up that that Wednesday afternoon or Friday morning or whatever time my shift is scheduled. I have to give that up. You know, and maybe I'm looking for a small transaction at work or outside of work in the gym, you know, a workout buddy or a, a, you know, a girlfriend to go have coffee with. I already know that me as a person, I don't need a great deal of outside emotional transactions. I can spend 30 minutes with somebody and I'm just using it as a guesstimation, not a concrete, you know, timer. Oh, 30 minutes with you? Great. You know, I, I mean, it's very curious because that, that dinner and coffee with your girlfriends, that can last me for like a week. I'm not, I'm not typically a person that says, oh, we have to hang out every single day, uh, which is why I've learned that, learned to determine when there is fear involved in the mating commitment. It, it's literally because Anthony knew this. Anthony was the one calling me. I talked because he was good conversation. Anthony was the one setting updates. You know, I was interacting with it and I wanted it. And I think I suggested one because I didn't want him to feel like he was always initiating. But I wanted to see, I wanted to see where he would take this. Where take this. I want to see how someone takes the lead. Um, I went to an acro yoga class. 
And in one acro yoga class, I had three epiphanies. I work well as a base. And a base in acro yoga is the one that carries the workload, the one that does all the work. Um, okay, I'm wrong. I also learned in in going to Bamba dancing, there's a thing in Congo Square in New Orleans, and uh, a dance group came, and we were doing something, and I'm like, the poor the lady was who was supposed to be teaching and leading, I'm trying to lead, and I'm like, I, I apologize. I said I'm not used to. I'm not used to not having to lead. I'm usually the one leading. I wish there was a male that could take the lead from me. I asked the universe consistently for a male that takes the lead. Not in a chauvinistic way, not in a dominance way, but in a natural, organic way. Not reading my mind. But saying, like Anthony did, hey, where would you like to go for dinner? Thinking about places where we, he'd like to take me. That, that, that was, that was why I was overlooking the red flags with him because I'm like, I like these qualities in him. I know we have to take it slow because I see these things and I don't know if it's going to work out, but I was enjoying where we were at and then he literally overthought and was like texting his ex-girlfriend as he broke up with me over video chat that's not where it got weird with him and that's not and that actually is not why I am not ever going to take him back but he knows what he did which is why he hasn't tried to contact me um, one of the reasons I'm sure. I'm sure he's still infatuated with the thing that stalked me at my job. I, I've never experienced that. Someone's current girlfriend stalking the ex-girlfriend and knowing where she works. That was, that was the scary part. I had to sit her down and explain to her well, I didn't sit her down. I actually told her to get out in a very, very loud, authoritative voice in police uniform. She came back one more time, I, but I ignored her. She was looking for me, and I ducked. I really could have pressed charges on her, but I'm like, you know what? I need to get a. a, a I need to pretend these people don't exist, and then. I left the police department. So it was, it, it, there were a lot of positives to leaving the police department, <laughs> which is why, again, like I literally went, oh shit, I'm not a cop anymore. Eh, okay. It, <laughs> but no, it's so it's, it's really uh, the next couple weeks, I'm going to be exploring ways to maybe fulfill that emotional space without outreaching, you know, and I'm not saying reach having a friend fill those emotional voids, 
but I, I know I recognize a need to fill emotional void when it comes to not spending time with my daughter. And when it comes to wanting the company of another person, you know, and what, why we get so ashamed and caught up in desiring that and wanting that. And I want you to think about that too. Because it's a really important key in how we deal with relationships, work relationships, friendships, romantic entanglements, partners, even family relationships. It's why some people group together as a nomadic tribe and stick together versus why some people just disperse and can call somebody once a year and be fulfilled. It's why you feel slighted when your brother or sister doesn't do that or doesn't do this or says this or that. It, it, I'm going to explore that, and I want you to do And thank you very much. Thank you.